We got to talk about De'Aaron Fox next time. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's having a great uh, stats-wise. He's he's been great post trade Halliburton trade, but still can't get my Kings to the playoffs. That's for sure. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, in the dog pound, the Iceman himself, Josh Cohen, how you doing? Ruff, ruff. Doing all right. How are you? <laughs> Man, we should have done that with, with like a DMX tribute, you know? That should have been the move. Can you? Can I get like a real ruff here? Like a DMX ruff? Ruff, ruff. <laughs> Is that better? I tried to pull a DMX there. It's not even close. It's hard to get there that voice. Go. Yeah, it's too yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're not like cracked, like cracked out like DMX was. It's okay, man. The banger in the paint. Apparently, our new electrician for the podcast, Rajan Walia. How are you feeling? Yeah, if you want uh, your electricity to work, I wouldn't even hire myself. Um, I just had to flip a few switches, and luckily the power came on. But I'm on alert for a fire, so. Um, if I have to run off the pod, it's because I have to extinguish some of my bad work. <laughs> this guy. Man, Raj is setting up hot takes all over the house, you know? Woo! Hot takes everywhere! Okay, so for this episode, guys, I want to look at teams and then sort of look at their ceilings, right? Like, look at, I don't know, let's say the Boston Celtics and be like, oh, like, how far can they get? Are they a second-round team? Are they a conference finalist? Or that, you know, that kind of thing. So let's let's start off in Boston, Josh. How far can the Boston Celtics go? Are you expecting them to be a conference finalist? Can they make it there? Are they a second-round team? Like, I, I think they can go pretty far with this team right now. I mean, the one disclaimer, obviously, in all this is that it all depends on the matchups. Because Boston, out of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, they actually match up pretty well with most of them, except for maybe one or two. Um, and you know, in the first round, it really depends what seating they're going to get. They're probably going to be on the road, obviously in the first round. So are they going to beat a team like Miami? I mean, they're pretty similar in how they sort of play in terms of defense. Um, offensively, they both can struggle in a setting where they're playing half court offense. So it really comes down to what team they get in the first round. And since they're pretty unlikely to get home court advantage, I don't know. I mean, they're playing so well right now. Their defense is top notch. So I'm gonna say they. I'm gonna say they went around, and then wait, after wait, wait. that, why do you? Why do you think they can't get home court advantage right now? They're sitting in fifth place. They're half a game back from Chicago in fourth. They have the best defense in the league. They're like a top 15, 16 in offense, and they're flowing, right? Seven of seven and three in their last ten, and I mean they're just hot. Tatum's, every time I look at a box score, let's say Tatum's dropping at least 40 a game on efficient numbers. And, uh, you know, Jalen Brown just sent Maxi Kleba to hell the other day, like, while dapping up KG. I don't really know why you don't think they can get home court advantage at the least. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know they were half a game behind fourth. I thought they were at least two games <laughs> behind, so there you go. So They're skyrocketing, man. See, like, but I mean, you sleep on Boston for like a week, and they they went up from like seventh to fifth. Yeah, and I mean, they they lost that game against Dallas in a game where you know both teams are just throwing rocks at each other, and it came down to a you know last second shot with Dinwiddie hitting that three. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they get the fourth seed, then 
they got a pretty good shot again, depending on who drops the five, if it's Chicago or if it's a team like Miami, potentially, or Milwaukee, or even Philadelphia. Philadelphia chooses just to tank their way out of possibly facing the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> in the first round. Just so Simmons can play, right, Raj? Yeah, I, I think that would be the ideal storyline that everyone wants to see. But uh, I, I think, just to answer the question, I think the Celtics are equipped enough to to win a round. Um, I think overall, um, there is a top four or five in the East, and then there's probably a bit of a small drop um, in the quality of teams. And it's even... We're not even counting the Nets as part of that. Uh, we're counting the Nets as part of the top five, even though they might be a lower seed. Um, but yeah, I think the Celtics in the right matchup could uh, easily win a round. I don't think they're a conference final team. Like Just to answer that question, I don't think they'll be able to beat two very good teams in the East, uh, especially just because uh, I think they're going to go back to their uh, Celtic ways uh, with Jason Tatum not uh, being as much of a facilitator and... I still have a, a few question marks about their ability to play at an elite level consistently with all of their guys. It seems like it's always one night one guy shows up really big. But isn't that what you want in the playoffs, though? It's like it's that kind of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown kind of scorer, right? Where it's sort of a guy that can just take over, right? Like you can't rely on your sets being run properly every time in the playoffs. You can't rely on fast break transition ball. You sort of just need a guy to go out there in a half-court offense and create for himself, maybe do like a drive and dish at most, but sort of just like take over. And with Boston having two of those guys, like two of the best guys in the league at one-on-one play, I don't see why you wouldn't have more confidence in it. Like I'm, I'm pretty high on this Boston team right now, maybe because they're like smoking hot. I mean, you look at the template that Dallas used, and especially in the fourth quarter, just doubling Tatum and then rotating out of it. And then you're going to have you know guys like Al Horford, uh, Marcus Smart, and then Robert Williams on the floor. You got a little bit of a lack of shooting, especially in high-pressure moments. I mean, Marcus Smart has really stepped up in the playoffs um, at certain points, obviously. But can you rely on him to hit 35% plus against a good defense? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, Derek White has been really bad from the three-point line since he came over, even though he's been good overall. But again, in the playoffs, it really comes down to um, being able to make shots, especially in the fourth quarter. And they're going to struggle against a lot of these teams. Um, but there's a lot of teams like that. Like I mentioned, like Miami's going to have that problem. Toronto's going to have that problem. There's only a couple teams in the East you can really rely on for consistent off. Even Philadelphia's going to have that problem because Harden sucks in the playoffs. So <laughs> I don't know. It's going to come down to, like I said, a lot of matchups. And, you know, going back to the whole schedule thing, you know, on techathon.com, they rank the uh, strength of schedule. And Boston is fifth in terms of hardest schedule. Chicago is actually number one. So it seems like that matchup may be the most likely in the 4-5. In terms Ooh. of who gets home court advantage, it's hard to say. But it seems pretty unlikely at this point that Cleveland's going to move up. So it looks like that might be your 4-5. Doesn't, uh, Raj, doesn't Marcus Smart's ability to hit big shots remind you of like Jay Crowder's ability to hit big shots? Like, dude might just be, like, ice cold, like, 1 for 10 in the game, but, you know, with, like, 3 minutes left in the 4th, if you just need someone to jack up a 3 and hit it, oh, I'm gonna put my money on these kind of guys. Yeah, they're all in the same category, like, Danny Green, Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, like, you're, you're talking about the uh, Icy Pack Trio. Icy, <laughs> wait, is it Icy Warm Trio, or whatever that fucking saying is. Um, these are players that are very hot and cold, 
Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. What the hell are you doing with that? What the hell are you talking about? I see hot pack patches. Are what you talking about? <laughs> what is? Hey, what's that heat pack called? Trying to promote it's Shaq's like product? Heat, is he paying us? Heat and cold, like ice. Like I forget. It's like um. The icy hot. Icy hot. There we go. That's what I just said. Yeah, man. That's all I got. Yo, Shaq is not paying us. You can't promote <laughs> I, that. I see it, but again, the, the point still stands. They're all like hot and cold players. Um, they can go one for 10 in two straight games and then go six or seven for 10 in the next two. So again, Marcus Smart, if you're relying on him to put together uh, a consistent series, I, I think in terms of shooting, I think the Celtics could be in trouble. But again, if they end up playing the like the Cavaliers, somehow they end up playing the Raptors. Um, it, it's very possible. Like they're what? Only one game back from the third seed. And if the Raptors end up getting the... The six seed, it could be a three six situation. Um, so we'll see how it works out. But I think the Celtics are capable of winning one game. I just don't think they're going to beat the Bucks, uh, the Heat, even the Bulls would give them a good run for their money. Hmm. What if they played like the Cavaliers? Easy, easy I, dub. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they win that in five games. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm I'm pretty high in the Celtics team right now. I think it's because they've been smoking hot since like the new year. They're kind of like Dallas, right? Like uh, new coach on both sides, top defenses on both sides of the conference as well, and you know, sort of like the kind of team that sort of came together with a new system, right? Like earlier in the year, we were shitting on both these teams for having awful defenses. Boston somehow figured out that their switch defense just relies on good rotations and communication. And now look at them, right? Like they've, for the last like, couple of weeks, we've been saying that they have like the best defense in the new year since 2022. Right now, they have the best defensive rating in the league. And that's the kind of thing that wins playoff series. So I think I'm, I'm higher on these guys than you guys are. I think they can really push for the conference finals. As long as their offense keeps flowing, which I think it will. Yeah, I still have doubts of their offense. And uh, I think they'll win a round, like I mentioned. But um, after that, I can't see them beating any of the top teams besides, again, Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia they beat, too. I think, so they, they, can get, beat you know, I think they can beat Miami. Yeah, I think that would be a really long series. And it might come down to just variance in three-point shooting. Yeah, so, that would be again, like... Both those teams are very similar, so... That would be a straight-up grinded-out series. And with Miami, I wouldn't count on guys like Max Struess and Gabe Vincent to, to be honest, Duncan Robinson to really show up in the playoffs, right? Like, these are all really inexperienced players, and Duncan Robinson being a three-point heavy shooter isn't really going to get many open looks like he does during the season. Also, Duncan Robinson having just a low-key, very quiet season as it is. He got paid. Maybe he's saving it all for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, if Law of Averages works out like that, that'd be great, but uh, not for not for three-point specialists, man. Ask J.J. Redick how that worked out for him in the playoffs. All you gotta do is face guard the guy, and <laughs> he's kind of boned, man. Imagine Jalen Brown just, set, just hunting Duncan Robinson every possession, on defense and on offense. My goodness. Good luck. Yeah. Shall we move on to... Our uh, our local Toronto Raptors guys. Right now, we were talking about them for a bit, but they're sitting in the seventh seed, six and a half games back from the first. Uh, Raj, I think you mentioned earlier they're game back from sixth place Cleveland. 
which would pull them out of the play-in game, which is obviously what they want. Uh, and line them up for a Philadelphia series. That would be fun. Philly-Toronto? I could get behind that. Uh, Raj, how far do you see this team going in the playoffs? First round? Second round tops? I see them going very deep in the first round. Um, <laughs> I think whatever yeah, wow. whatever series they're in, I, I expect Goal. to be a six or seven game series. I think ultimately what's going to hurt them is the lack of um, really scoring. Not scoring, but in the sense that they they generate a lot of their offense from Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. And I think that teams can be able, will be able to shut them down. I kind of link them a little to like the Portland Trailblazers when Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum got shut down by the New Orleans Pelicans. There will be a team that really takes the ball out of those two guys, those two players' hands and really makes the front court beat them. And the Raptors have great front court players, but I don't think players that are consistently used to putting up 25 plus points a game and uh i think ultimately that's probably going to be their biggest downfall but for them to make in the playoffs and push a good team whether it's a team like the bucks or um the heat six or seven games i think that's a great season so that's where i see them going yeah if they're actually able to make the playoffs this year which is again not a guarantee because even though they're playing really well right now you still gotta, you know, obviously win the play-in oh, game. Come on, what? man! You think that they're gonna lose to? Okay, say that. Say the standings. Say the way they are. So seven, Toronto, Brooklyn eight, Atlanta nine, Charlotte ten. So say Toronto loses to Brooklyn, which we had to preface. Kyrie Irving would not be allowed to play in this game in Toronto. Firstly, mm-hmm. right? So the Raptors somehow lose to Kevin Durant and Bruce Brown in Toronto, which would be hilarious. You think they're going to lose to Atlanta or Charlotte? Come on, man. I don't think they lose to Charlotte, but in a one-game playoff against Trey Young and a healthy Atlanta team, anything can happen. And Trae that's the Young one matchup. With, with a bunch of 6-8 guys around him? Come on, man. Trey Young has played really well against the Raptors the last couple of years, so all bets are off in that matchup, even but if it, won't it is be... in Toronto. Yeah, it won't be at MSG. <laughs> that is true. But, you know, there's no guarantee against Brooklyn either. Like, you're playing Kevin Durant in a one-game series. There's no guarantee with that. But, hypothetically, they do make the playoffs, right? The one matchup I would want is Philadelphia. Because the Raptors, (laughs) you know, chaos system, I think, can cause a lot of problems for Philadelphia's ISO-heavy offense. Because we've seen what Nurse does against Embiid in the past with, you know, not only Marcus Saul, but even without Marcus Saul. Um, with other guys like Boucher and Siakam going against Embiid. All they do is they swarm. And Embiid's not going to be able to get his usual face-up 12-foot jumpers where he's holding the ball for four or five seconds and making his slow moves in the post or getting the ball off pick and roll and being able to go to the basket. They're going to shut that down. They're going to force the other Philadelphia players to make three-point shots. And again, James Harden in the playoffs. I'll take my chances against that matchup. I know they're probably still going to lose, but as Raj mentioned, they'll bring it to you know six, seven games in that matchup and make life a living hell for them. You don't think that Philadelphia would just run pick and roll on this team every possession and then just have Embiid rolling straight to the net like he did in the first like four or five games with James Harden? They can do that, but Embiid's not going to get the ball. If you saw what you know Nick Nurse did against Jokic and just face guarding him the entire fourth quarter, not letting him get oh. the ball... That's going to be the, the same lap. type of thing as what they're going to do against Embiid. They're just not going to let him touch the ball. They're going to 
condense the paint, and they're just going to force guys in the corner like Thibel and Tobias Harris to beat them. There's going to be a lot I mean, of three-point shots in that series. Relax, man. Jokic was playing on his like fourth game in six nights, okay? <laughs> let's, let's chill out. It doesn't matter if he's playing his first game in 100 nights. If he can't get the ball, you're not going to score. It doesn't matter because you have energy to get the ball, Josh. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? You know this. If you're too tired to get the ball, how are you going to do anything in the fourth quarter? If they're denying the pass into the post or on the perimeter, and then once you catch the ball, they have another guy coming over to you, you're not going to score the ball as often as you think. You forget that. I'm just saying, we have a good track record against Embiid. We probably have the lowest points per game average against him. Right? And... Nick Nurse is a genius. I'll take him over Doc Rivers in this series any day. But again, the talent discrepancy is huge, so I wouldn't expect him to win this series. But the biggest <laughs> thing for Toronto is getting Scotty Barnes postseason experience because he's shown in his time as a nominal point guard for the team with Fred Van Vliet out. He's been amazing since the, uh, the All-Star game, averaging, I think, 20-8, and a couple steals, a couple blocks, shooting 57% from the field. So getting him playoff experience is number one. Like, I don't want them to tank the rest of the year. I want to make sure they actually get into the playoffs, which is the direction they're obviously going in, winning a couple of games in a row now. And uh, it'll be really good for him to see what the intensity is like, and I think it's only going to help his game. I have nothing to add. Like, uh, seeing you married couple <laughs> go at it, um, I, I think Josh has a point in the sense that uh, – Embiid is uh he's he struggled against the Raptors and a lot of it might be because in the past Ben Simmons wasn't able to really be a good co-star and uh, the Raptors were able to double and send more men um towards Embiid but I I think ultimately the Raptors like Josh mentioned make the playoffs first and then once you're in the playoffs you're playing with house money and they, they'll make it difficult for whatever team because they play defense and because they're used to playing different schemes. Like, I don't think any team's going to look at the Raptors and be like, great, we can do this very well against them because they know the Raptors will adjust. Um, but this is definitely not a team that's going to make it to the conference finals. I know uh, that was the theme of this pod. So this is a hard no. Here, uh, before we move on to the next team, let me just read off Embiid's um, percentages against the Raptors in the playoffs in a seven-game series. The last time that they played. 37 Hold on, hold on. When, was, the when was the last time they played? When was the last time they played in the playoffs? 2019. Yeah, when the Raptors had Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Sergi Baca, and Marc Gasol, right? And Kyle Lowry. <laughs> I just named off five players. Come on, man. They still have the same coach, and they still have really good defensive players, no? Uh, no, it's not, not the, same. the same. You need personnel. We're not comparing Gary Trent Jr. to Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> okay, I'm not comparing Chris Boucher to Sergi Baca. I'm not comparing Kem Birch to Marc Gasol. Get out of here. The point is, we have the same defensive principles uh. and still have a great defensive coach. Okay? Whatever. You'll see. If they actually play in the playoffs, Embiid will not be averaging whatever he's doing right now. 30 points on 56% from the field. He's going to struggle. Yeah, Pop once upon a time had the best team ever, and then look at him now with this team. Just because you have the same like system doesn't mean that your team is going to be good enough to do the same things. You know this, man. It's been three years! It's been... Come on! God. They still play the same defensive style, Ugh, and they still Jesus. play star players the exact same way. And they have the length of other teams. We've seen this all season long. 
Nurse's entire defensive philosophy is to shut down the best player on the other team. And he's going to do that in the playoffs. And again, it may not work because Philadelphia's more talented, but Embiid is not going to get the same looks as he normally does. That's my point. Josh is a used car car salesman's pitch right here. This is the best car for you, but it may not work. I'm not saying Toronto's going to win this series. I'm saying Embiid is going to struggle against us. It's a different conversation. Fair enough. We we get that. We'll see if they end up playing each other. Or maybe Toronto doesn't make the playoffs. Who knows? Who knows? But they will. I have full confidence in this Toronto team to make the playoffs. But they are out in the first round, guaranteed. Uh, Raj, can we move out west? Maybe you can give me some homerism since we just gave Josh like 10 minutes about the Raptors. Can you talk to me about why the Memphis Grizzlies are going to go into the second round at the minimum? You know what? It, it Again, it all depends on matchups, especially with the Grizzlies looking like they're going to lock in a top three seed. Um, if they end up playing anyone from the play-in round, I think they will have a long first-round series, um, whether it's the Clippers, maybe the Lakers because of LeBron. Uh, the only team I think they kind of clearly dominate is the Pelicans, but the Pelicans, since CJ has been there, have been a different team as well. So, honestly, the, the best bet is for somehow the... Grizzlies to play the Timberwolves that would be probably the most guaranteed chance that they go to the second round um, just because I don't like D'Angelo Russell um, that much in the playoff series I think Ant is going to be great I think Cat could give them problems but um, I, I just think that this Grizzlies team it's going to be a very long first round series and that's all I want to say I don't know if they're able to, I can't say with absolute certainty that they're going to make it to the second round. I just can't do that. Well, right now they're wow. slated to play the Timberwolves in the first round because it's a 2-7 matchup and the Timberwolves are four games ahead of the eighth seed, which is the Clippers right now. And the Timberwolves will have a you know home court advantage against the Clippers in the play-in series because that's the most likely matchup right now. It doesn't seem like the Timberwolves are probably going to get up to the sixth seed based on how the other teams above them are playing right now. With Denver being, I mean, they're only a game and a half behind, but um, it's hard to see that happening with Denver having such an easy schedule. So in a 2-7 matchup against the Timberwolves, the teams are 2-2 two and two against each other so far this year. Um, Cat has had a lot of success, obviously, against Steven Adams in the past, so that's going to be a tough matchup for them. But the one thing that the Timberwolves really struggle with is um, defensive rebounding against good offensive rebounding teams. And obviously Memphis is by far and away the best offensive rebounding team in the league. And their pick and roll defense mm-hmm. is obviously going to be some issues with, uh, you know, Russell and Cat being involved in a gazillion pick and rolls every game. So the Timberwolves, I think, will maybe win a game, maybe two, or most likely just one game um, in that type of series if that does happen, which it seems like it's going to. Um, but after that, uh, the Grizzlies are going to play Golden State in the second round, which is one series that everyone is looking Ooh. forward to as long as Ooh. both teams win their first round matchup. And the Grizzlies are giving the Golden State Warriors probably more problems than anybody in the league this year. Hold on, hold on. Can we rewind all the way back to the beginning when I asked Raj when, like, how the Memphis Grizzlies will make it to the second round? And he said he doesn't. he's not convinced that they'll beat the Clippers or the Lakers? No, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that... Uh... They're not going to beat them. I think they're going to be long series for... Blasphemous. I think they're going to be long series regardless. Well, 
won't even be long. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be five Ridiculous. games, each of those teams. Five games. Uh, you think Anthony Davis can do anything against Jaron Jackson Jr.? Well, My God. Jaron Davis might not play. Jaron Jackson Jr. is like Tim Duncan re- even better. Okay, it's not even about that matchup. It's about the rest of the team. Look at the yeah. Lakers roster and who they're playing right now. They're playing Stanley Johnson 35 <laughs> minutes a game. And look at Memphis's roster. They have like 14 good players. Again, I, uh, yeah, I'd rather have Zaire Williams and Stanley Johnson on my team. That's this goes to show you how good Memphis is right now. Yeah, like again, I want the Grizzlies to win. I'm not. Uh, I, I guess I'm just not trying to put too much pressure on them. I think they're a young team, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to jinx myself into oblivion. Okay, this is a this is a case of large sample size, right? We've seen what the Lakers are the entire season. They're not going to suddenly flip a switch. They're not even going to make the playoffs. Like I've said this entire year, they're not going to make the play. <laughs> New Orleans is going to beat them in the playing game, first of all. And second of Man. all, even if they don't, they still got to win two games to get in, right? They're not going to win yeah. the second game. Yeah, they'd have to beat either LA, like the Clippers or the Timberwolves. And they're not beating the Timberwolves, that's for damn sure. The Timberwolves are actually playing like a like a pretty good team right now. And the Clippers, they're, they're going to win the Battle of LA, and I love it. You see how I turned this, Raj, into just us shitting on the Lakers rather than talking about the Grizzlies? Yes. See what so I did see, there? We're going to have a lot to talk about the Grizzlies <laughs> once playoff comes, because maybe, like Josh said, the Lakers don't make it. But again, Adam Stern. Uh, Adam Silver. Oh, my God, Adam Stern. Um, Adam <laughs> Silver, definitely. David Silver. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Adam Silver will have something to say about it. Mm. Okay, let's get back to the Grizzlies for a second because they deserve yes. more time than just two minutes of talk, okay? Yes, the one thing that I'm concerned with them about is Dylan Brooks returning to the lineup. Because <laughs> I think that he might actually throw a lot of their chemistry thing, their chemistry, um, you know, the good chemistry so far this year off, right? Because you had somebody in that spot who doesn't command the ball at all in Zaire Williams, who just plays his role, plays defense, shoots corner threes, that's it. And now you're bringing Dylan Brooks back in the lineup where he might try to overtake Desmond Bain as the number two guy. And then that might throw the entire offensive uh, hierarchy off. And then you have a situation where the Grizzlies are not a good half-court offensive team regardless. And now you have a scenario where Dylan Brooks is trying to take 15-plus shots a game again. <laughs> And then Desmond Bain standing in the corner instead. So that part worries me a little bit. But overall, their defense is really good. Their depth is obviously amazing. And they have played pretty good offense against the better teams in the league. So I'm not that concerned about the Grizzlies. And, you know, if you're asking me right now who's going to win in a potential Grizzlies-Warriors series, I don't know. I think I'd go seven games, though. Okay, but but let's just go through what I have to talk about what Josh just said. He mentioned that the Grizzlies are not a good half-court uh, offense in general. That's a worry in the playoffs. They're not. In the playoffs, that's a worry. You have less chance. Yes. But, 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 yes. but, there's a big yes. but against the top 10 There's a defenses. Dylan Brooks's butt. Not or Dylan Jaren Brooks's Jackson's butt because that's way too big. <laughs> Jaren but. Jackson's butt. Also a big butt. <laughs> yes. But, uh, <laughs> but no. yeah, against the top 10 defenses, they're actually pretty good. So they've actually played pretty well against the top teams in the NBA. So... Maybe they just don't get up for teams like Detroit and, you know, the lower dregs in the NBA. But when they play against teams like Golden State, they're fine. Yeah, but again, got to go after what you said, that they're not a great half-court offense team. They score a lot in transition, which, again, in the in the playoffs, you generally can 
have or even less the transition points for most playoff teams. They also have a returning player who's going to may throw off the chemistry. Um, And I know we talked about this on the previous pod. Uh, And lastly, which is an important thing, is depth. Like, we don't need as much depth in the playoffs. Like, you're not going to be going into your ninth, 10th, 11th guy on a rotation in the playoffs. And yes, that's one of their strengths. And that's why they're able to beat up in the reg- beat up some teams in the regular season but in the playoffs like most teams are going to go 7-8 that's it but even with their shortened roster though i would still like them then more than most of these other teams right like even honestly even compared to the warriors i like the the memphis grizzlies shortened roster i don't trust like jordan Poole in the playoffs why would i trust him i don't trust nemanja bielitsa you know who else is there on the on the warriors for me to look at kevon looney other than Steph, Clay, and Draymond, which is, is all, like we know what they are, I don't really trust anyone on the Warriors. Iguodala? Nope. You think Iguodala is gonna play well against Memphis? Memphis is gonna have like a revenge series against that guy, man. They're gonna target him for saying that he's not gonna play for the team. I don't know. I consider him a bit of a Marcus. Yeah, and Smart. plus Iguodala has played like twenty games this year, right? Yeah, Iguodala is a he, shell. He's man. gonna be fresh come playoffs. He's not. He's not there anymore. Yeah, fresh on the golf course. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Come on. I think he's going to play more minutes no, I, I don't see. than we think. I think that's what they're hoping for, but I don't I don't know. I don't see it. Iguodala hasn't looked the same. And, like, all of this aside, but Memphis Grizzlies have, who I think might be, like, one of the best young big men in the league right now in Jaron Jackson. You, uh, I'm sure you guys saw, like, the highlights, at least, of that game against the Knicks the other day, where he had, like, four blocks in the fourth quarter. It seemed like he was blocking everything, he was grabbing every rebound. He was hitting, like, pull-up threes, which, with his janky-ass shot, is just, like, crazy to see. But if this dude can perform, even moderately in the playoffs, the way we expect him to, this Grizzlies team's gonna go much further than you guys think. Yeah, and again, they match up well against the Warriors, it's just a matter of, does experience beat out... You know, a young up and coming team, and most of the time, it's the answer is yes to that. Yeah, but this experience has a Clay Thompson coming off of two years of not playing, and Draymond Green with half a bath. That's what worries me. Like, it's great yeah. that they have the chemistry and they have continuity, but they don't like they don't look like themselves. Obviously, Draymond literally just came back yesterday night, and Clay's been back for what two months. Like, I, I don't know. I, I still don't see it from this Warriors team. I'm not high on them at all. Yeah, and the Warriors, if they get a bad matchup in the first round, then they have to play the Grizzlies afterwards. That's going to be really tough, especially if you're playing a team in the first round. Like, say Golden State gets Jokic in the first round, then I could definitely see the Grizzlies beating them in the second round, assuming that they actually beat Denver. So mm-hmm. if they beat Denver, you're going to have six to seven games of Jokic just pounding on not only Looney, but Draymond Green. And then they got to deal with Steven Adams for 20 to 25 minutes a game, <laughs> plus the quickness and the offensive rebounding of the other Grizzlies. So yeah. that's going to be a tough road for them if that continues. That's probably going to be the case, too, right? based on the seedings right now. Um, unless Denver moves up, which is possible with them only being one and a half games behind Dallas. It's unlikely, but you never know. And if they yeah. get Porter Jr. and Murray back, oof, that'll be one of the best first-round series ever. Well. <laughs> yeah i i would love to see like a memphis denver series that would be so fun to watch all right let's move on to another scorching team in the west guys the dallas mavericks josh your 
Your fat-ass friend Luka Doncic has worked this team into the fifth seed, tied with Utah for four or five, I guess, whatever you want to say about it. But uh, this Mavericks team, similar, like I said, similar to the Celtics, slow start to the year. But once Jason Kidd's system got, uh, what, what, what am I trying to say? Once they got used to his system, once they got used to his defense and like the nonsense that he tolerates or does not tolerate, I guess. And honestly, since Spencer Dinwiddie came over at the trade deadline, this team has looked like they're unbeatable out there, man. They've, they've, they look like they could at least win the first round finally with Luka. Especially against the Jazz. Like, I think I would take the Mavericks over the Jazz at this point. Yeah, I'm gonna chime in as a, I guess, a undercover Maverick skeptic. Um, I, I think it's not undercover. undercover. Didn't you say they weren't gonna make the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, you said they were the worst team in Texas. That was last season, like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, last season. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I, I. I. I still think that they need, like, especially obviously, they now have solved their Chris Stapps problem by trading him at the deadline. Um, and obviously Spencer Dimwitty still hasn't, I think, hit the strides that he was hitting in at the Nets, but he's definitely a better fit, um, in the Mavericks than he was in Washington. But overall, this team, like, I still think the, the big issue is on offense, a lot has to run through Luka and teams will be able to throw bodies at him and just tire him out and, He's shown in the past that in the last playoffs, the last two playoff series, um, that he's able to carry his team. But I just wonder how much that will affect him in the playoffs against a team like the Jazz, or if it ends up being somehow the Nuggets. Like, I, I, I just think that when you rely so much on one player, it's your, your the variance of winning is a lot. And uh, I have my own skepticism, but I think they're playing really well and. The nice thing is they're winning a lot of close games and they're beating some very good teams. Like they recently beat the Jazz. They beat the Celtics in a low scoring game. They beat the Warriors. Um, so I, I think overall they have a good chance of making it to the second round. I don't think they're a team that makes it anywhere past the second round. I mean, you just counteracted both points that you made, right? Because you said that Luka will get tired in the fourth quarters. He has to do too much. And yet here they are winning these games against these good teams in the fourth quarter. So maybe things have changed now with them being able to play Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie together when Luka's off the court and not being a huge negative, which is what it was in the past. It's sort of like, you know, Philadelphia when Embiid comes off the court, you just expect them to bleed points. But ever since Dinwiddie's come into the fold, he's shooting like 50% from the field and 40% from three. Who knows if that'll continue in the playoffs, but like you mentioned, Utah's a pretty good matchup for them. And this team sort of reminds me of like Philadelphia 76ers circa 2001, where you just have like the superstar player with some pretty good role players in the starting five. And then just the rest of the guys are just like defense first players. And, you know, when you have a top five to seven player and a top five defense, you can definitely win a series in the playoffs for sure. And they know exactly who they are now, which in the past, I'm not sure you could totally say that because of Porzingis, right? Because they were often just force feeding him the ball or trying to get him involved in sets, trying to make him happy. And now they don't have that. Now they know exactly who they are. And honestly, their defense just makes absolutely no sense to me still. Like even when watching them, like they're fucking unbelievable. And yet they have a bunch of like average to sometimes below average role players who don't, 
play very good defense. So some of them don't anyway, or they're just small and they somehow still make it work. Like going against a team like Boston that has big wings. You think they struggle and yet they held them to what? 96 points. 92. Yeah. Uh, Again, I I think the biggest issue with the Mavericks is just scoring. I don't think it's the defense. Um, They've this year under Jason Kidd, they've definitely slowed down their pace. I think we've talked about it off the pod that they're one of the slower paced teams in the league. Um, and that's good for playoffs because you get used to playing in half-court sets and not running in transition. Um, but I, I still worry about teams really getting the ball out of Luka's hands. And obviously you have Brunson and Dimwitty who have shown abilities to create and um, create shots for other players. It's just, I think you rely so much on Luka. Like there's a huge drop-off in like number one option Luka and then there's a big drop-off between the next option on that team. And Again, I, I just worry if they are able to hold a team, let's say they end up playing the Jazz, if they're able to hold the Jazz to like 90, 95 points, are they going to be consistently able to score 100 without with the Jazz obviously targeting Luka? Uh, I have my question marks about that. Yeah, it's a very interesting matchup because the Jazz have the best half-court offense in the NBA. I think the Mavs are probably one or two in terms of half-court defense. So... One of those things is going to win, and whoever loses that series, um, they're going to make massive changes in the offseason, probably. You think Dallas would make massive changes if they lost that series? Really? I mean, it really depends on Brunson. I think that's the big one. You know, if he doesn't play well again in the playoffs, maybe they just let him go and hope that Dinwiddie plays as well next year. But yeah, outside of that, I mean, they have more flexibility now with them trading two for, or sorry, one for two, um, with Porzingis being traded for those two contracts. Um, but at the same time, they might have to wait one more year to actually make a bigger move to try to get Luca a second star. Do you guys see them making it out of the first round? Assuming that it's Utah. Yeah, I, they could definitely make. They call. could definitely make yeah. it into the second round. Do they make it to the conference final? No way. Yeah, it seems pretty unlikely that they'd be. I guess it'd be Phoenix in the second round. Um, Hell so, no. Know, <laughs> seems very no, unlikely. Good. But hey, when you got a superstar in a top five defense, you never know. It's possible. It's it's very unlikely, but it's possible. But, you know, Utah in the first round, like talking about these matchups now, like the Western Conference, you know, everyone's talking about the East this year with like the matchups being amazing in the first round. If you get Dallas, Utah and Golden State and Denver in the first round, that's pretty nice. Yeah, the Western Conference is great, man. Hell, the playoff series like this year, just in general, is going to be great. There's much more parity in the league than it used to be, right? We're not looking at, you know, 2016 or 2018 when LeBron would just carry the Cavaliers to the finals every year. It's kind of nice to actually see it like this. Much more parity than it used to be. Um, All right, we have time for one more team. Do you guys want to talk about Los Bulls or... Should we talk about maybe the Warriors, the Suns, who I think we all have as favorites? What, what do you guys want to talk about? I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, I vote for the Bulls as well. All right. All right. Let's yeah, do the Bulls the then. Bulls. The Chicago Bulls. Los Bulls are 41 and 27. They've, well, they're actually gone kind of a cold streak here, guys. They've lost four or they're four and six in their last 10. But on the upside, their, their savior, their goat, oh, well, the internet's goat, really. Alice Caruso is finally back and healthy. They announced that Patrick Williams might be coming back in late March, I think. Hopefully, 
Lonzo Ball can come back around that same time and they can finally make it to the playoffs healthy. But right now, the Bulls are kind of struggling. And, you know, that's not to take away anything from Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan's year because they've both been incredible. But that's what happens when you have injuries, right? Like, the team's going to slow down. So right now they're sitting in fourth place. We talked about it earlier. Um, Philadelphia is a game ahead. The Boston Celtics are half a game behind. So there's still a lot of variance, right? Like this playoff picture in the East is not set in stone. It's far from it. But how far do we see the Bulls going this year? As a a new team that came together, as a team with not as much continuity between, uh, like I said, a new team, but also just so many injuries, right? There's injuries to their main guys, to basically everyone except for DeMar this year. How far do we really see this team going? Out of the first round? I think that this team has the most variance of anybody in the NBA just based on who plays and who doesn't. So if they actually get their backcourt back with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso being fully healthy come playoff time, they could beat a lot of different teams when they have those two guys in the fold because their defensive rating with those two guys in the court and then you add in like Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Vucevic as their closing five against everyone except for Brooklyn since KD would absolutely destroy them. With that type of lineup, and you probably have to play a guy like Patrick Williams or Javante Green. But against everyone non-Brooklyn Nets, having that lineup, um, and then having you know the depth off the bench with Kobe White and Dosunmu, and even like a guy like Tristan Thompson that can play ten minutes for you, and then Patrick Williams or Javante Green, that's a pretty good lineup. And uh, then you have Demar Derozan in the fourth quarter closing things out. So if those guys are healthy, I could definitely see them even potentially making the conference finals if everything goes right, if they're healthy. Whoa. Because Whoa. they have a top five defense with those two guys playing together. But the chances that they actually do play together are pretty small. So therefore, I lean more so towards first round exit just because of the health concerns. Yeah, like I echo everything Josh said. Um, but this is like a very interesting team because I think the matchups, like Josh mentioned, like the Bulls shouldn't be matchup hunting. I think once their main objective going into the playoffs is hopefully getting Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball integrated back in the team on offense and defense. Like that is their objective. Whether they play the Celtics or the Sixers, uh, I think they're capable of beating both those teams with their full lineup. Um, and I think ultimately what's really going to decide their fate is I think particularly how well Lonzo Ball can play. I think he, he'll he be kind of the key piece. Um, he'll be able to guard some of the, the big shooters and uh, bigger wings um, that the Celtics would offer. And same thing with the the 76ers. And I think just the versatility of having him on your team improves his, your defense a lot. And obviously Caruso's a key piece as well. But I, again, there's a lot of question marks coming back from an injury. It's not only getting back it's getting fitness it's getting integrated in the team it's also the other role players who've now had more minutes finding ways to still contribute um but this bulls team could make it to the conference finals um there could be a situation if they end up beating the celtics and then have to play the heat and then they end up playing whoever's in the conference finals if it's the bucks or the nets um notice how i didn't say the sixers um but one of those two teams they could easily end up playing and uh That'd be a very successful season for this Bulls team. Yeah, and, and then, you know, the stats been passed around where it's, they said that uh, the Bulls have been, I think they're like winless against the top 
seeds in both conferences. They're like 0-13 or 14. But when you don't have your players around Damar and uh, Zach Levine um, that are so important to your team, I mean, like Caruso coming back for the first game, you can see the difference that he makes. Yesterday, I don't know what the hell happened with them losing Sacramento. But, you know, when you have <laughs> those two guys in the backcourt playing the defense that they do, it makes such a huge difference. You can just see that in the defensive numbers. Um, but the two matchups they want to avoid, obviously, are playing against Brooklyn and Milwaukee because they just don't have the guys to match up with Giannis and Katie. Nobody really does, but they don't have the perimeter guys to be able to slow those guys down at all. Whereas some other teams like Boston, for example, you can at least have a shot against a Giannis or a KD with their switching defense and guys that actually have length. Um, whereas with the Bulls, if you're playing those four guys together with, um, you know, Caruso, Ball, Levine, and Damar, you don't have a lot of defensive length. You might have a lot of quickness, but you don't have a lot of guys that can, like, put a hand in KD's face and affect him at all. No, you'd be relying on, like, Patrick Williams or Derek Jones Jr. to do that. And I don't want Derek Jones Jr. as my center. <laughs> it's kind of obvious. Yeah, I mean, hmm. I see this team as a first round out. Depending on who they play, obviously. But, like, if they get matchup against Cleveland... Or maybe Toronto, I could see them passing by, but against even like like you said, Raj, Miami, Milwaukee, Philly. I'm putting Philly in that list because I don't see Philly losing to this team. Uh, yeah, I don't see it. I would love to, but it's it's hard to see. There's, I don't think they've had enough reps with each other yet to really flow in the, like in the playoffs. So it's tough, man. Playoffs are a different animal. Right and continuity goes a long way once you, once you're in the playoffs. That's why teams like Bo- I'm higher on teams like Boston and Milwaukee, even Miami in that sense to go further along. And yeah, another big question is: Does Demar turn into Pumpkin Demar in the playoffs? No, nah, man. Was in Toronto. Nah, this is new Demar. This is new Demar. New Demar attempts two threes a game. I think it's a fair question. Nah, man, because new Demar has Zach Levine to bail him out. New Demar, just watch. We'll this is MVP caliber Demar. This is top five MVP candidate Demar. <laughs> In the playoffs, he might turn into circa 2017 Demar. Nah, man, have faith. Have faith, my boy. All right, Josh, uh, give us some stats corner, please. So I have a few things for you this week. Um, so. Going to, uh, you know, talking about Greg Popovich and seeing that he's the most winningest coach in NBA history now. I have a few stats on that. Ooh. You're never going to be able to guess this. I'm just going to tell you the stats for this one. So players who have lost the most regular season games to Greg Popovich. Can you guess number one? I think number one sort of a little bit obvious. Regular season games? Dirk? So you got it right away. Dirk Nowitzki. Oh. 29 and 49. That's including playoffs as well. Next is Vince Carter at 15 and 43. Would not have Zach Randolph, Kobe, Jamal Crawford, and Jason Terry. And the active leader is Rudy Gay. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Rudy Gay. Wow. uh, 7 and 30. Oh, wow. Wow. Former San Antonio Spur Rudy Gay. Yep. And I'll give you one guess at this because, again, you're probably not going to get any of these names. Best regular season winning percentage against Greg Popovich, the minimum of 25 games played. Can you name any of these players? You each get one guess. Uh, uh, 
LeBron James? It's got to be someone. LeBron is not on the list. It's got to be someone recent because San Antonio has been good until these recent years. I'm going to go with how many games? 25, you said? At least 25. Damn. So anyone in the East would have to be at least 12 years ago, right? Yeah. Minimum. I have another guess. But if you're in the... Is it someone like Jokic? They're all Western Conference players. I have a guess. Yeah. Is it Jokic? Steph. No. Nope. So this is... This is actually like Portland Trailblazers, um, you know, heavy right now. So it's uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, number one, 18 and 12. Nicholas okay. Batum, 19 and 13. Wow. Bonzi Wells, oh my 18 goodness. and 13. The one I thought you might have got was Shaq. Shaq is 20 and 15. And then uh, Vlade Divac at uh, 15 and 12. And the worst at 2 and 31 is our favorite center from yesteryear, Adonal Boyle. Oh, wow. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Shout out to the uh, 08. Warriors, eh? Jesus. Damn. No doubt. <laughs> Donald Foyle. Haven't heard that name in years. Two and thirty one. That's a great poll. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Imagine like so, Im- hold on. Imagine looking at your schedule every year and be just being like, Oh, it's a Spurs X. <laughs> like why do I even show up to this game? Man. Yeah, those Warriors teams back then with the Donald Foyle were not very good. Yeah, shout out to Andres Bedrins while we're at it. <laughs> he had a good year. One. <laughs> <laughs> Got him paid, man. All right, so I'll give you both two guesses at this one. This is the last ass corner for the week. So players that have played at least 50-plus games for bad teams that struggled with, you know, 30-plus minutes a game and high usage. So in terms of the usage rate, they have to be at least 27% for their team, average at least 33 minutes per game. And their true shooting percentage is under 50%, whereas the average throughout the league, I think right now, is about 55 or 56. So basically, these guys had some of the worst seasons as a primary guy in NBA history. So can you name the top, or I guess the bottom 10, in terms of efficiency as one of the main guys in the past? How far does this go back? 40 years. I don't expect you to get the guy from 1980, but see if you can get at least one or two with... We'll give you both three guesses. Okay. Is uh and and <laughs> is Russell Westbrook on this? He is at number one, which is why I brought up the stat. <laughs> this year, he is having probably Ooh. the worst efficiency year of all time. A twenty seven percent usage rate, about forty nine percent true shooting percentage, and his win shares are at one point two. And he's shooting sixty seven percent from the free throw line, which is odd. He sucks from the line. He used to be good, though. He used to be at 84% at one point. He hasn't been good from the line since uh, the NBA instituted that he couldn't like walk all the way to half court and then walk all the way up. And then, that mm. like for some reason, it cut down his like his free throw. Like You know how they have like a timer, right? It cut it down from like 10 seconds to 5 or something, and he just doesn't get into the rhythm anymore. He just doesn't do it. He it's went from point. like 84 to like 68% in one year, Jeez. and then he stayed in the high 60s ever since. Sort of weird how, it, like, when his athleticism fell off, his shot also fell off, even, for, even from the free throw line. But as you mentioned, that might have been a factor. So I think it's all psych- yeah. psyche, man. Sounds yeah. very mental. 
Um, poof. One of the worst seasons as a primary ball handler in terms of efficiency. High usage, low efficiency. Some of these names are really obvious from the last, say, 20 years. I know, I'm thinking. So thinking like the lowest, like the biggest, the biggest chuckers in the NBA from the past 20 years. Just name them off the top of your head. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I'm thinking. Is uh, John Wall on this list? He is not. He's not enough of a chucker to make this list. Come on. He had some good seasons. Sorry. My apologies. I'm thinking of like. Bigger chuckers. Like J.R. Smith, but he doesn't have high usage. That's the thing. Correct. He is not on the list. Jimmy! Yeah, you see, the usage is the, the bigger part of the. Is like Kevin Porter Jr. or some shit on this? Nope. Oh. Most of these guys are from the 2000s. There's a couple here from the 1990s. Some of these players you obviously know. There's one guy in the list you will never get. Um, so one of them was a former Rookie of the Year in the 2010s. Oh, Tyreek. No. Oh, damn. He played for one of the worst teams in the history of basketball. Kemba? No. Oh, oh my God. I Good guess, but no. I know this. Um, MCW? History. Correct. Uh, He's at number two. Yeah. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a. <laughs> Remember, I'm thinking of rookies like who handled the rock, and obviously they're going to be inefficient. That's what I'm thinking of. But it's tough. Yo, do you guys remember MCW's first game in the league when he got like nine steals? And we thought he was going to be like the best player ever, or like the best defensive yeah. guard ever. He Ooh. almost had a quadruple double that game. If I yeah, correctly. nine steals, nine man. Steals. Crazy. Yeah. What the hell? Fantasy Warlord in his rookie year. No kidding. Uh, I just had someone in mind. Oh, Alfred Payton? Alfred Payton, not on the list. Oh, man, See, I most of these guys are like secondary or third type, near all-star types. So we'll go through the list here. So we have a point guard. He used to play for the Golden State Warriors. Everyone loved Barry him. Davis. He had a lot of bounce to his game. There you go, number three. This one sort of surprised me. He used to play for Portland, and he's more well known for playing in Memphis. He's a big man, and he Randolph? has an incredible low, low post game. Wow. Yeah, Zach Randolph was number four wow. with Portland one year in two thousand five, really? two thousand six. Yeah, huh. he had a true shooting that. percentage of forty eight percent, and he shot forty three percent from the field. Jesus, which was very odd to yeah. me. Um, next you have, um, he was a secondary player on an Eastern conference team in, uh, what is this? 2004. He's known as being one of the biggest chuckers of all time at the power forward position. Oh, Antoine. Shot a lot of, there you go. Antoine Walker. He's number five. <laughs> that fat ass. He is number There's five. There's a lot of fat asses on this list, Josh. I'm just saying. There are actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, next you have a point guard who in some ways, revolutionized the game, who Hubie Brown absolutely hated. Uh, is it Steph? Stefan? Stefan Marbury? Stefan. No, 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 no. Hubie Brown coached him. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Who does Hubie Brown hate? Telfair? Nope. Revolutionized the game? In some ways, yes. 
Is it AI? No. Oh. Hubie Brown never coached AI. I didn't think so. But Hubie Brown coached in a lot of places, man. As soon as this guy got traded, the Sacramento Kings went from average team to contender. Mm. Talking about white chocolate? There you go. Jason Williams, number six. Antoine Walker is also number seven. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, man. And let's see that's if you can remember this guy. He... Antoine Walker, thank you very much. Oh, sorry, sorry. And uh, at number eight, you have a player who was a, a small forward slash power forward. He used to play with Baron Davis in New Orleans when Baron Davis first got in the NBA. Mashburn? Yes. Surprisingly, yes. And his teammate from the same year is number nine on the Jeez. list. Um, he supposedly had an affair with Brandy, I think it was. Was it Brandy? It was some pop artist at the time. <laughs> he's now Man, he's is... now a commentator for uh, TNT and also the Clippers. He had a pretty good career, too. Oh, Jim Jackson? Yep, Jim Jackson, oh, number Jim nine. Jackson. So he had two guys on the same team from the same year who had terrible true shooting percentages. And the last one is Daryl Griffith, whoever that is. <laughs> yeah, we would not have gone that far. Man, that was a real throwback of Stats Corner. Holy. Indeed. Jesus. All right, good stuff, man. That was, that was real deep. You give me these names from like the mid-2000s. We're, now we're talking. More Baron Davis trivia, Josh. I'll get it for you next week, I promise. Yeah. You, be, you should bring trivia on the 07 We Believe team. First question. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. How high was Don, uh, Donnie Nelson on every game? In every game. Very. Yeah. <laughs> How many Extremely. beers did Donnie Nelson have at, at halftime? Four, five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, good stuff, guys. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes and on Spotify. Leave us those five-star reviews. Leave us those good comments, please. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace.